welcome to the inaugural Level Ed podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Ozuna, and I'm thrilled to be sharing space today with Taryn Ozuna Allen, Siobhan Nash, Becca Stolhansky McNeil, and Rachelle Broussard. Today we're discussing all things Black Lives Matter, allies, and moving forward in this work. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. for being here truly making my talk show host dreams come true and like being here for this conversation and um I've been in a lot of conversations about like schools reopening and like what do you guys think about this and like as a special education teacher or like as a head start teacher or like what do you think our families need and like okay well first of all we have to talk about everything that's going on right like we can't just move past that and say like okay covid is you know happening and but there's other things happening too that like have to be addressed for our kids and our families to feel safe and as a public school teacher if i feel like you know the neighborhood schools are the best place to be then like we're here for the families and this is definitely something that's affecting them right now so we better show up and like be there for our kids okay so our first question um, how do you feel when you hear the phrase all lives matter and then just some follow-up questions about um, the conflict over like the Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter um, showing up within your personal conversations and spheres and I guess really just how you feel about that. Um, and I would like to give this to uh, Siobhan to start off and then you guys hop in whenever you want and we'll just pretend like share one mic and so give Siobhan some time to talk and then if you want to add something then go for it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I feel like All Lives Matter is definitely a um, a statement that was made to be combative and not actually meaningful to negate Black Lives Matter in the first place. Um, I think it was developed that way and, and that if you understand where Black Lives Matter came from and why, then you know that All Lives Matter is not the truth it's an ideal um it's you know ideally all lives would matter but it's not the truth in 2020 or really any time in american history so i think that the fortunately i've not had a whole lot of debate about this i guess i tend to surround myself with some good people <laughs> uh, maybe like-minded people i don't know um you know or at work per se people don't really talk about this with me, maybe because I'm the DNI person, I don't know. But I think that for the most part, I've not had to debate this fact with people around me. But when I see this come up, it feels very, uh, you know, just combative and not, and not coming from a genuine place. It's typically coming from a place of, oh, I'm going to disregard Black Lives Matter because all lives matter and you know, onto the next thing. So it makes me a little angry, but um, it also, when you kind of say all lives matter, I tend to kind of know where you're coming or, you know, what your position is on the Black Lives Matter issue. Right, right. And I, I guess being in Texas, this is like every other phrase every other social media post every other um, hashtag or um and so I, I guess it it comes up way more often for me and I'm not sure Rachel do you see that being in Texas 
Absolutely. Um, being here in Houston, uh, we definitely see a lot of, I, I would consider my city a very diverse city. Uh, we do see a lot of people who are a part of this whole movement of Black Lives Matter. Uh, but when you hear All Lives Matter, I would definitely agree with Siobhan uh, with what she said. You, you know where people are coming from when they say that. Uh, it's a dismissive tactic. It's something that is basically saying like, get over your particular viewpoint and get on board with everyone. But it's not everyone. It's, I need you to think the way that I think. I need you to uh, stop being so, uh, I've heard people call it singular-minded, but again, and no matter how many people explain it, I guess it, it's funny because I see all these different memes that, you know, okay, this house is on fire right? But all houses matter. No, 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 no. Yeah, we know that, okay? But uh, this particular house needs the attention right now, and we need to make sure that we get that. Um, so when we're talking about, I mean, that definitely brings up a, the conversation of equity. It talks like, where are we when it comes to equity? It's, I mean, we're not even talking about equal anymore, because to make things equal means that some people are still behind because of what's what's been going on just historically. A conversation that I had with a friend of mine not too long ago was that um, at 37 years old, I have parents who were born as second-class citizens. Uh, they were born in an era of Jim Crow. They were born in an era of, you know, when they grew up, they were not considered, you know, just full citizens of the United States. They were considered second-class citizens. So until we understand that, until we understand that, oh, it's not like, this isn't just some far off, far-fetched, you know, there's still people alive right now who had to deal with um, all the things that happened during that time period. And then all of those things that are coming across right now in in society because we never dealt with the ills of of all of the sins of our country, then we're, all lives will, won't matter because we haven't addressed those things. Right, thank you. Taryn, do you wanna to add to that before I wrap up on our first question? Sure, yes. Um, I, so I would agree with what's been said. I feel like when the statement is made, it's sort of like an uppercut to the jaw. It's just like, whoa, wait, like where did that come from? It's painful, it's dismissive. Like you said, Rachel, it's just, um, totally negates the whole purpose and movement when it comes to Black Lives Matter, because then it's put you on the defensive of like, well, yes, like, of course, like all lives matter. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't want anyone in my friend group or my family or whatever, you know, anyone injured or hurt or killed or what have you. But that's not the point. The point, you know, the point is that, um, you know, this is intergenerational, it's historical, it's social, it's political. These things have been happening for centuries. And when are we going to take ownership and say enough is enough? We cannot have this happening, uh, you know, this systemic uh, racism, police brutality, um, go, continue to go on in our neighborhoods, communities, and schools. And um, I, I think we have, as educators, a responsibility to challenge that. Uh, so I work at an institution that is predominantly white, definitely conservative um, when it comes to the student population. 
And so it's been, it was really interesting in my diversity class when I, you know, the first couple of weeks we talk about socialization and the ways that we're socialized to believe about diversity and equity and what that matters and what it looks like in our lives. And so many, even the students of color were like, well, I've never seen that before. You know, I've never encountered any kind of injustice. I've never, I mean, like, just kind of questioning, is this even real? You know, probably would be saying all lives matter at the same time. So and that's at the graduate level. Okay, they've already earned their undergrad degrees. So there's just so much work that needs to be done, which is exhausting because it's like, how do you not know? How do you not see? Like, it must be so convenient and nice to not have to wear, like, how many times have I texted you, Rebecca? I'm like, must be nice. Must be nice yeah. to not have, yeah. have to think about that, you know? Right. Uh, so really trying to train and educate our future leaders to be critical and social justice minded and to um, push back when they hear this, uh, you know, when they start working in the field and then my responsibility in the classrooms. But it's, um, it's hard, especially up here, because we do have, you know, where we, we live, Becca, it's like kind of rural, kind of mostly white. <laughs> so yeah, there was going to be a Black Lives Matter protest um, in Saginaw, Texas. And on our Facebook group, some other folks posted like, well, can we have a Second Amendment pro-Trump rally at the same time? And it's just this constant combativeness that's not necessary. Like, why can't you just say this is a problem? It's because that privileges are lost. They don't want to give up power. They don't want to give up privilege. They want to maintain the status quo because there's a sense of fear and insecurity if the majority, I mean, the minority gets anything um, you know, that's more than what is already, I think. So those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to, I mean, agree with everybody here. And <laughs> I, I feel like sometimes, like when I, I teach pre-K special ed, right? So I feel like sometimes we talk about like, oh, these are like goals and objectives, or this is something that we're working on. And it's almost like, well, if the kids don't get it at that level, like take it back a little bit, right? Like see like where you can meet them, what they do know, what they're understanding. And if not, like you take it back a little bit. And that's what I feel like when people say all lives matter. I'm like, why do I have to drop down to this to like a agree with you and try to like move you forward with this conversation when it should just be like absolutely Black Lives Matter like these are friends, family members, these are like humans and like this is for humanity and about being a good person, about, you know, like wanting this like equity and like, you know, power and majority for all. And it's it, that's what I always think about, like why do I have to drop down and like try to, you know, figure out a way to like, yes, you're right, all lives do matter, but also let me tell you about this. Like why do I have to like push you along into this conversation? Um, but I mean, that, for Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know. I, no, no, I go feel ahead. like part of that is willful ignorance because they they fully Must be know nice. exactly. They fully know and understand why black the Black Lives Matter movement happened and and how we are you know maybe not the exact numbers but they fully know what's going on and they choose right. to be ignorant to that and act like you know, you're being so because you're not thinking about all lives. It's like, no, don't try to turn the tables on me when you know exactly what we're talking about. Right. Yes. And I, I just hope, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Taryn. Oh, okay. 
um, to your point, Becca. So I, I feel like the, the labor then is not always acknowledged when it comes to the teacher or the administrator or the professor who's having to do that because it's twofold. It's one, now I'm in a position where I need to, you know, call out your privilege and educate and instruct for the people who willfully don't know anything about this, allegedly. Um, and then on the other side, on the back end, supporting our students of color, in this case, black students who are feeling the brunt of this. Like, I can't tell you how many times over the last year, students have come in and closed the door and are just in tears because our institution continues to struggle with racial injustice and things are happening on campus and not just between students, but between students and faculty and discrimination and everything. And so it's a lot, like it's a lot to take on in addition to all the other responsibilities, you know, because they see a face that they recognize or they see a face that they can relate to. And so that's where they go to lay uh, their burdens, which I understand because you might not always feel comfortable with um, a white professor, right? But at the same time, just honoring him that work. I, I totally agree with what you're saying because, um, and then it becomes a issue when you look at like as an administrator now, I have to be very cognizant of everything that I say, everything that I do, everything that I post, you know, because I have to look at myself from a professional lens, but then I can't allow my professional lens to cloud the fact that I am a black woman in America who could possibly have black children who are going to be impacted by systemic racism. So I have to make sure that, you know, yes, I don't, and I also don't need you to perceive me as the person who you can't come talk to about this because the thing is, is that the way that we're going to get through matters like this is conversations. We have to have conversations. We have to have policy initiatives. We have to have all these different things in place that's going to um, make, to affect change, true change. Um, but I will say, I wanted to go back to what Rebecca said when. Just talking about, I think it might have been Taryn though, she said about the, when you look at the minority saying certain things and might become the majority, I think that when people say all lives matter, those individuals, um, I heard this and I can't remember who said it, but it was, um, people are fearful when the minority becomes the majority because they're fearful that the things that they are responsible for in the past that they've done to minorities will possibly happen to them. So it, it makes you, when you have situations like this, it makes people think about, oh God, what did we do? And could it possibly happen to us? And you don't want people to be fearful of that, but you want people to recognize like, okay, that fear that you're, that you feel right now, that's a fear that everybody in a minority stance has had in this country for a long time. So I need you to fix it. It's not that people want to do those things again, but you need to fix what happened. And so that when we go forward, we have true change. Mm -hmm. And to yes. look past yourself, like uh, a lot of times, like, like I was talking about my students, sometimes, sometimes some of them think like, well, we don't have a problem because I don't have a problem. And so, you know, just looking beyond yourself <laughs> must be nice 
right? Looking right, beyond right. yourself so that, <laughs> um, you know, we can just do better then because right. things have improved. I think that's the other thing that's misleading is that, you know, uh, rights have expanded. Uh, we have a black president. Look at all the things that are happening in society. Look how great, you know, we're doing. But that doesn't take away from the system, like your next question is about. Like that's, you, you can't look at the one-off and say, we've arrived. Thank y'all so much. Um, I'm gonna wrap that question so we can get into the others and also our other participant is here, Becca. Um, Yay. But yeah, I, I, I just wanna like put a seal on all that and say like, yes. And I'm um, <laughs> proud to do this with you guys and by your side and whatever, with whatever it takes. Um, but uh, the second question I have here, uh, so for many events in the news about racism are not the products of a racist system, but of a few bad apples. Um, and so for you, just personally, what's the difference between individual prejudice and systemic racism against uh, people of color? And to kick us off on number two, I wanted to ask um, for Taryn to start us off. Sure, yes. So um, they're different, but they're related. So individual prejudice, you know, we, we all have biases and prejudices. We were all, we are the products of our environment, our home life, our communities, our churches, um, through that socialization processes, things are, we talk to us in terms of like what is good and bad, what is right and wrong. And a lot of times that ties to things um, like social identities, like religion, like sexual orientation, like gender, in terms of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And so we sort of growing up adopt those prejudices, but at a certain point, either through school, family relationships, what have you, uh, should come to a point where you begin to question that and just in terms of personal development, right? Um, biological development and understanding that there are differences and trying to make sense of those differences. Um, but, and so we carry those with us and if they're not checked and they're not um, changed, then just, you know, as an, indiv an individual just continues to perpetuate systemic racism. Um, in my history class, we talk a lot about higher education institutions and that these institutions were not built for us or by us. And uh, it's ingrained, systemic racism is ingrained in the way that we teach the programs that are on campus, the way that the budget is made. Um, some of our higher education institutions were made through slave labor or through the displacement, displacement of native and indigenous people. And it's just in there. And, and, you're, and unless you're really intentional about checking it, then it maintains. And that's the same in our healthcare system. That's the same in our education system. That's the same in um, policing and in our neighborhoods and schools. And so you can say it's the one-off, but it's been in there since the beginning of the establishment, um, particularly related to the history of the United States. There's, Absolutely. I think there's a spectrum. Like there's, you know, a few bad apples are probably the worst of the bunch, but they're not the exception to the rule. It's, it's 
systemic means. I think someone, I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one, but someone said it's like asking a fish to describe water because it's so encompassing and it's so a part of our society that it's, if it doesn't affect you directly, maybe it's hard to recognize it or maybe you don't want to um, acknowledge it, but it's, it's literally built to every system that you mentioned and others, real estate, like everything has these inherent prejudices and biases, some against, you know, different people of color, because it's, it's, you know, a white supremacist nation, like, and that, and again, there's a range of that. It's not everything is the Klan, but it's small things like how you evaluate an applicant for a loan all the way up to that, you know? So it's, it's because it's so baked in that it, it requires a, this is like a long haul, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It does. I hear that. I think about my relative, like my friends and family who are white, um, who say like, I don't have a racist bone in my body. And, um, the, the thing that has been communicated over and over and over, um, to us is that you don't have to feel racist to participate in a system that disadvantages people of color and advantages yourself. You don't have to do so with animosity. Um, and we actually have like legal categories for that. You have, for instance, like involuntary and voluntary and negligent and whatever these categories for harm. And so that when we think about where we're putting our kids in school, um, what advantages we are trying to gobble up for our kids, we think about that. We've been trained to think about that in a very individualistic way. We're Americans and so we think everything is individualist. But what we don't realize is, or we choose not to see, is how those individual choices are, the buffet on which they sit is the racist system and you're, you're picking and choosing and you're not doing any of that. Um, maybe with the thought of like, I'm going to somehow oppress, you know, black indigenous people of color, but I, there's a lot of things we do unintentionally that contribute to that system. And, and for some reason, I can't figure out why it doesn't relieve some of the pressure to say like, you can, it's, a, it's safe to acknowledge because nobody's asking you to say I'm a member of the clan and I'm horrible and whatnot to say I am contributing to these systems. Like you, I, I kind of feel like, look, you're getting off easy here. <laughs> but unfortunately, it requires a lot more active change. And I think mm -hmm. so while it, it's not about you feeling bad and your shame and your tears and whatnot. It is about what you're doing. And that can sometimes be even harder. Like we can't just have a big cry and a hug and make this be over with. Like you're going to have to change some things. And so I think that that might be some of the rub in people just not wanting to see how big it is. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that um, part of me gets frustrated now when I see that People are taking down statues. They're banning the Confederate flag. 
ancient mama's getting a read, you know, all sorts of different things. It's, you know, she's getting a, a makeover or a new name, you know, groups like Lady Antebellum are changing their names. And the thing is, but you knew, you knew that this was a, an, an issue. Like the Confederacy, you're talking about a five-year country, a five-year country that lost, you know, and there is, I mean, where in the world, there's not many places in the world where you fly the losing flag. You just don't. Um, or, you know, with, you know, the Confederate monuments or slave owning monuments or, but the problem is, is that our history is engraved with sin, that type of sin that is against a whole group of people. So like as much as I was a history teacher and as much as I love teaching history and as much as I love the impact of all these different things that happen, like I used to tell people all the time, Thomas Jefferson was one of my favorite, like he's, you know, one of my favorite presidents, one of my favorite historical figures, but I need to identify his issues. Like we have to say, it can't just be, let's glorify him for writing the Declaration of Independence that didn't include me or my people, you know, or all these different things. Like we have to address those issues. And the problem is, is that we haven't. And right now, I'm gonna be honest with you, it seems a little disingenuous um, with a lot of different things that are happening because it's like, but y'all knew. Why did it take these people to die? Why did it take, you know, this whole movement of of people, and don't get me wrong, I do not condone the rioting and the destruction of property, but why did it take that for people to say, oh, I guess now we need to fix this before they tear up some more stuff or before this happens? So I think that um, we definitely have to uh, get people to continue to see, like this can't just be this fly-by-night movement. It has to be something that continues to be corrected. Um, and I will say this, when uh, Taryn said a great, great thing, she said, we're all products of our socialization. So like growing up, you know, I mean, and I connect this to other movements that need to happen because, you know, we're in pride right now. Um, growing up, you know, I grew up a devout Catholic, grew up in a church, all these different things. Like my socialization told me that people who I love and adore right now, my friends who are a part of the LGBTQ community were sinners there, you know, all these people that, so we have to correct. Once we know better, we have to do better. We have to correct our own thinking. It can't just be, oh, that's how I grew up. Okay, fix it. It's this thing called therapy. It's this thing called all sorts of different things that can help you to do better and be better. It can't be, oh, that's just how I am, or that's, you're an adult now. I mean, kids, we work on them. You know, uh, we work on them to help them to get better. As an adult, you got to work on yourself. So I think that, you know, we have to get people to understand that sometimes you're the problem and you have to fix your own problems. I, I absolutely agree with all of that. I mean, I, it's hard for me when I hear the term like, oh, it's a few bad apples. It's a few bad apples. Because I, I not only hear that for like the police force and um, for ideas for reform for them or, you know, abolishing police but I hear that in education all the time. And my own campus and like across the hall, like, well, it was one time they had a bad day and I'm like, you're allowed to have a bad day, but you are the adult in your classroom, right? And so the things that you say and do to kids are gonna impact them forever, right? Um, I, I feel like it's such a scapegoat 
there's a few bad apples in the system. Are you mad about this? Um, when it's literally what you had mentioned earlier, it, it's like the water we're in, it's everything. Um, things like the loan applications uh, are, you know, are redlining. Redlining, mm -hmm. our interest rates are based off of your zip code, our, <laughs> our credit scores are based off of your zip code, like it, that, that's, it's very real. Um, I remember in 2016 when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series and they burned down half the city and people were like glorifying it, like, yeah, burn this to the ground, right? Because it's been over a hundred years and like, you guys don't know what we've been feeling. And then, then there's like riots and things and they're like, this destruction, this loss of property, the, the, and they're like outraged. And I'm like, remember the Cubs? We're going to burn that to the ground, right? Because they waited 100 years for that. Um, <laughs> other cities, other championships, other things that, uh, you know, they're like, well, they safely rioted. And I'm like, okay, for a championship, for a, a fake safely. ring, right? Like, it, you, you don't understand. Like, it's just showing me everything <laughs> that I need to know about you when you, like, support that uh, way of thinking. Um, does yeah. I was just going to say that another another difference between a few bad apples and a systemic issue is what happens to the bad apples. Because yeah, there's always going to be bad apples. There's bad apples in a bag of apples, um, <laughs> but you don't eat them and you don't keep them and you don't, you know, and that's the thing where it shows you that it's at a systemic level is that the bad apples are protected. I mean, the Catholic church went through this the police departments are going to need to go through this. When your system is protecting, just because you don't condone their behavior, protecting them from consequences is, is where we cross into a systemic issue. We can talk about like, oh, are they trained to be that way? And that's part of it. How did they come to be bad apples? But all the training in the world isn't going to change the fact that you're going to get people who either have a bad day or are bad at their job or are malicious the system is what deals with that and keeps mm -hmm. and and takes a and calls it a crime and decides okay this is not allowed and we don't do this anymore and then if you continually produce bad apples you know you kind of check your pipeline there but i think just at a very fundamental level the fact that this has been protected and indulged for so long tells you just how systemic the problem is i totally agree like i'm gonna be honest with y'all like this whole starbucks situation that happened i was like didn't y'all just go through implicit bias training <laughs> from this other stuff that y'all had gone mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden now you were you know suppressing somebody's you know ability to say that black lives matter I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, how did, so, I mean, it definitely gets us to a point where it's like, hmm, well, we have this situation. We send people through training, training doesn't work. And then you wonder why people are protesting and people are putting all these different, because you're, you're saying, oh, we fixed it. We fixed the problem, I promise it's good. And then here's another issue and another issue. That's what we mean when we say system systemic racism or all of this systemic prejudice or systemic silencing of of the voice of people who have been oppressed so it's exhausting <laughs> it really is. but to go back to what you're saying also rebecca about like the 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 peaceful riots and the bad apples it's 
I think we also have to be critical of like, we as just individuals of uh, the narrative that is shaped through our media, because um, like you were saying, Becca, like what happens to the bad apples? Are they protected or not? But I think also the narrative is like, well, they're the bad apples and there's just like a few of them. And it's a one-off kind of thing, whether rather than when you see it for the bad apples with people of color, it's like, see, look, they're all the same. They all, that's why we need to keep doing X, Y, or Z, like can't be. And that's a narrative that's been around for generations, you know, and it just perpetuates itself and people continue to believe and think that is like the capital T truth. And that's problematic because it just continues to perpetuate the system. And I, I think honestly, that gets to this very deep cultural thing of white being getting to be neutral. So white people get to be defined by their ideas and professions and mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And like to be a white, honestly, to be a white, like heterosexual male is the, the Y axis and everybody else is a standard deviation, you know, a, a woman, special interest, you know, like that creates this issue where white people don't represent a group and everybody else I mean, white, really, I feel unfair, like I'm picking on white men, and they're not here to defend themselves, but as the closest thing, um, you know, white people don't have to represent a group because that, and that's, I think, honestly, one of our like rhetorical racisms in the country is um, identity and that like white is not treated as a race in the way that other races are. Um, so that, and I think that gets into the media narrative a lot about like who, who represents their group. And so can I say this as far as like, just looking at it from a scientific standpoint, from a historical standpoint, race is a man-made construct. It is definitely not. Um, so I remember my mom telling me this story about, uh, somebody called me black when I was younger and I was like, but I'm not, I'm brown. You know, what is, you know, when, when you're looking at, you know, different things or the fact that my birth certificate says Negroid, you know, I have another friend that has a birth certificate that says like uh, Caucasoid, Mongoloid. I was like, when did we become aliens? Like what happened here? You know, so, I mean, it's just all of these things when we look at it, it's like, it's when we talk about race, like in America is our, the United States is, we are backwards in this. I mean, it's not too many other countries that say, you know, oh, I'm a African British or African Parisian. You know, it's it's us. You know, America. We we America. We got we got some issues to work on. Yeah, I talked to my daughter about this once when she was discovering terms white and black. We'd always used light and dark skin, and then she turned five and it was introduced to black and white. And I said, why do you think they picked black and white? as the way to describe that. Why not peach and brown? Or, you know, what's, and we talked about how white and black are opposites. And if you're trying to highlight difference, you go to white and black because that is more different than peach and brown. Um, and she totally got, I mean, she, that, I mean, as far as developmentally appropriate critical race theory, that was as close as we could get because she was understanding like, 
there are we've we've made each other as different as possible on purpose for a system that we were trying to um justify absolutely thank y'all so much for sharing i yeah i i struggle with a few bad apples just because it i feel like it's everywhere and just like you said becca like but if it's a bad one you you're gonna do something about it right you're gonna like correct it get rid of it there's gonna be something you're not just gonna like let it continue to like fester and rot and I feel like that's kind of what's happened. Um, being an early childhood teacher in a Head Start center, predominantly Hispanic Latino, um, we we talk about like differences and everyone's accepting and I have an inclusion classroom. So I also have students with special needs and you know differing abilities and sometimes they're in walkers or they have a wheelchair or they use different things. And it's literally like, okay, because they need those things, right? And that's that's how it is. They're going to need that just like, you know, you're going to need something else. And like, I need glasses and I need this. And um, just again, this diverse, like, yeah, you're right. That is different. And, and I'm different and you're different. And then, you know, um, just early literacy and like bringing in like diverse books and all kinds of things all the time to like show kids, like, you can be a hero in the story, you are like, you know, needed in our society, you are loved, you're in a classroom where we're going to talk about it, and I'm not going to like shun you, which I've seen in some cases where teachers are like, you need to stop that because we're all friends. And I'm like, but we're not. But we're not. And like, let's talk about that. Because if I'm going to be here, like this champion for like diversity and inclusion, and I, I do it in my classroom, and like, I can't sit here and let you say that and be wrong. And so I have a lot of conversations with peers and coworkers about like, it's okay to come from a less informed place. And like, like Rachel said, when you know better, you do better, but that is going to take some action, right? It's not just like, well, someone called me out on it, and I know better now. And it's nowhere anywhere, you know, in my classroom or with anything that I do in my life. It's like, no, no, we're going to continue and like pushing forward with this narrative that like different is okay. Different is welcome. Um, everybody, you know, isn't the same, but everybody can be loved and, you know, have those different kinds of conversations with kids. And I'm, again, I go back to thinking of like, I don't mind dropping that down to like a child's level for a three, four or five year old. But like when I have to drop that down for like a 50, 67 year old running their mouth on Facebook, I'm like, okay, we need to like figure something else out here. <laughs> so uh what are practices for creating more loving caring and resilient relationships to help strengthen our communities um, as we work towards racial justice and are there any barriers to completing this work and i'm gonna start off with can i go to becca oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> um i actually feel like i need to pass because i feel like this is I'm okay. still in learning mode on what works. That's very fair. I'm just briefly so I can like highlight this when you were talking about like the white male, I think of like my Dan and you're like, I don't want to pick on them. I was like, pick on them, say it <laughs> because <laughs> that's why after decades and generations, they're like so protected. And like, so like I was telling him the questions and he was like, Oh, that's really good. And so I had told him the one like, okay, so if you're white, so like, honey, tell me the opportunities and benefits that you and your family had because you're white. And he was like, whew, I don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. Like, that was just his flat out answer. Like, I don't even know, like, where to start with that. Like, 
I, I can't even like dip into and get into like every sphere where we've been like praised because we're like white and that's it. Um, so, <laughs> and that's, and that's one thing that I do think is a barrier that he seems to have kind of gotten over, but one barrier is, is just the, the willfulness to not recognize the differences and how the world treats one group versus another. So the fact that he recognized, that's a huge thing is to recognize that I have privilege. I sure do, you know, and it's not to shame anybody for that. It's just, it's just the acknowledgement just to even get to that point to get, be able to get beyond that, to see someone else's experience, you know, empathy, very important. You know, some people just don't seem to, have that outside of their own groups. Um, so I think those are two very big things as far as like barriers to completing the work. If you can't see me as fully human, if you can't recognize your own privilege and, and where you stand in the world uh, versus where someone like me or someone else, you know, exists, that's a huge problem. I, I mean, I would say that a lot of white men and white parents at this point go even a step further and usually they're talking about affirmative action but to do the whole like well everybody you know it's hard to be a white man right now. and we heard it you heard um during the me too movement it's a scary time to be, you know to be a young man well add white to that i mean there's a lot of people reinforcing that barrier at the same time as you're thinking like okay the barrier exists high enough already we really don't need to reinforce it like it's actively being reinforced by the political opposition to things like affirmative action or um, like uh, equal opportunity, any kind of legislation, that kind of stuff. There's mm -hmm. just this like, well, pretty soon everybody's going to have a leg up but me. And like, I would have gotten in, but they had a quota to fill. I mean, you just hear, it's just like, it is everywhere and it's just rebuilding those barriers. And I agreed a hundred percent. It drives me cuckoo to be honest. It drives me bonkers. Like I can't even, it's like, how, how dare you? But you know, <laughs> I, you know, even as a black woman, I'm heterosexual, able-bodied, you know, fully, you know, middle-class person. So I, we all have privileges. It's like a spectrum. So for you to kind of sit there and be like, my life wasn't easy it's easier than someone else and you know what we're saying you know it's like yeah. people with this must be nice like you're saying like must be nice to play dumb but you know exactly what we mean when we say privilege i mean we i'm gonna be honest with you right now we all can recognize privilege um i know i can with COVID 19 taught me a whole lot about privilege uh, me being able to be at home collect the check um, when I know I work in a Title I school and I have students who, and parents, I watch the long lines of parents coming to pick up food, you know, that we were offering, you know, all these different things. So we, we all understand privilege, but there are certain privileges that have been like totally um, expounded, you know, it's exponential when it comes to certain groups of people. Um, but I will say one of the practices for going back to our question, like we have to stop, certain things have to stop being so taboo. 
um, in certain, you know, communities and certain cultures and everything else. Um, we have to get out of the fact that, you know, I remember people telling me, you know, we don't, people don't talk about, and it's not just in the black community, it's kind of universal. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about, you know, a lot of different things. And I'm like, that's why we aren't doing anything right right there because it's so taboo not to talk you know we don't talk about these things um but the biggest thing is like i'm i'm a huge proponent of therapy for people you know because a lot of these things aren't just you know a political issue or a um i mean these are issues this is a mental issue i think racism is a mm -hmm. um a mental issue it's because you were allowed to think this way. You are allowed to think that you have this superiority over people. And that is a, uh, you suffer from a mental illness and I need you to get that fixed. So, um, or I need you to come out of that through therapy. I need you to be able to talk that out to someone. And therapy alone is taboo in so many different, you know, um, communities and cultures. So I think that that needs to happen, but there also needs to be an acknowledgement of what we have in place that continues to cause all of the issues that go on in our society. Um, we have to look at legislation. We have to look at um, our policies and practices. We have to look at all sorts of different things in order to go forward and have this kumbaya moment, because right now we're not there. And we're not even close to being there. Um, I was reading this article that said that, uh, God, what's his name? The congressman, well, the senator from Kentucky that everybody's, mm -hmm. yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. But he was just like, you know, we pay for our sins of, as a country when we elected Obama. I was like, mm -hmm. how ignorant, how ignorant is that that you would say something like that? You mean out of 44, he gets to be 44 out of the, you know, hundred plus, hundreds of years of our country and one, you know, okay. As a woman, I'm sitting here, okay, well, I'm still waiting in uh, for the gender whole equality type thing, or I'm still waiting on, you know, all of these other different things that can happen. So I think that when we're talking about practices, like we have to address these things head on and we have, to, and things have to stop being so taboo to talk about in organized company. And can I just add, uh, President Obama was not handed anything, you know, <laughs> he had to earn it, be as flawless, you know, as you could possibly think of to even, anyway. Nor did yeah. he cost anyone anything. I don't right. know exactly what Mitch McConnell feels right. like happened to him, but <laughs> just right. tapping into his base. <laughs> yep. yeah. right. Let him know. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, you bring up a good point about like therapy and it being taboo. And I mean, I, when I have these conversations with like coworkers, colleagues and friends, I almost feel again, I go back to like, like talking to like a little child who like doesn't understand. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like you've already brought that up before. Or like, I, I know you say that all the time. And I'm like, no, because I love you too much to leave you in that place where you're just like wrong and where you're uninformed and I, I can't do that to you. Um, so like have those hard conversations. And I, I 
had, I've always told people that like in my district, like if you tell them, you know me, either they're going to like love you or they're going to like roll your eyes and be like, oh my God, Rebecca won't, you know, shut up about this. Or she always brings this up or she always points this out or she's always going to like say something. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, that tells me I'm kind of doing something right. Right. Like Mm. I'm willing to have hard conversations and like talk to people, many people and, you know, recognize the things within themselves that, you know, probably need to like shift gears or like, whether it's like sharing personal experiences or just like telling them like, but you are a teacher of like black and brown children. Like what is wrong with you? Like, And as much as I want to like say like, what is wrong with you? I have to say things like, you know, like with the, like an empathetic lens of like, well, you know, their families trust us, their families are sending them to us. We have to like, you know, if we're these neighborhood, strong neighborhood schools, we have to like, you know, fully support our families. And, and do you think that would be something that they would agree upon? Or, you know, like if they heard about that conversation or like, hey, you know, maybe they did hear part of a conversation or their child did tell them something. Like, how do you think they feel? They're like trying to send these kids to us and like trust us all day long pre-COVID. Um, but if you have to like put yourselves in their shoes and like, I recognize my own uh, privilege and I'm uh, Hispanic, Latina, you know, like super proud of like my own culture and everything, but I recognize privilege of uh, my fiance being a white male. I had, uh, we had done a trip last summer and a friend of mine who her husband is a black man was like, when I go and I like check into hotel, my husband stays 10 feet behind me and I do it with a smiling face and I'm welcoming and I'm happy so that there's nothing that happens where they question him. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's total privilege on my part because Dan can handle all that and do whatever. And no one bats an eye. They're, you know, friendly and they're familiar with him and they don't see it as like a threat or like, you know, they don't have to like question anything. Um, but yeah, just again, having those hard conversations with friends, with Mm -hmm. family members, with people like you guys who, again, I love and adore and, um, like to move past all this and to like recognize it and call it out. I think that's, that's where I'm going to stand for like moving and and pushing this movement further. And just to chime in. Thank you. I I just think white folks need to start doing our fair share of it. That's all I was going to say. Oh, yeah. um, Like when you're talking about creating more loving care, like if we would do more of that labor, then there are certain conversations that, I mean, like I was telling a friend, like, I'm fresh for the fight. I haven't been fighting this my whole life. I'm, you know, brand spanking new and have plenty of energy and plenty of, you know, cushiness to handle a grumpy grandpa. And it's not, I, it costs virtually nothing of me. And we, the more white folks get used to having those conversations ourselves, I think that an internal community conversation is, is probably a great way for this, you know, calling on and paying for and doing justice to the anti-racist resources that have been provided. But when it comes down to listening to somebody rage and say weird racist stuff that they don't know any, like, don't know any better, you know, stuff that they didn't think was bad and is bad, you know, when it comes to calling the uh, really uncomfortable work and horrible stomach churningness of calling things out I just think it's time for us to do a little bit of our own heavy lifting yeah so I was just going to add I'm just kind of also summarizing what others have said and 
starts with ourselves and uh, checking our own privileges and also seeing where we can learn and grow and process, whether through therapy or kinship ties or, you know, friends, hopefully, you know, through therapy, because that's third party outside of those relationships. But um, just also when, when we talk about this in my class, the diversity in education, um, being prepared, I think is a practice because you might be caught off guard the first time you hear it, but you know, like you were saying, Rebecca, like you keep hearing the same things. So being prepared to interrogate, to question, to educate, um, and not just, you know, people of color, um, but like you were saying, Becca, like our white allies too, to step up and kind of echo, oh, that's a great point you made, Rebecca. Like, I agree with that. And maybe we should look at this in a different way or what have you. Um, it takes a it takes a collective, but um, in my class, the students kind of come up with a table of like if they were to hear something in the library, or if they were to hear something in the classroom, or if they were to hear something in the hallway, and a, a teacher said it, or a student said it, or an administrator. Like how are you how are you going to respond um, within those different scenarios, whatever that educational setting might be, whether it's in a residence hall or in a student organization you're advising. Uh, so to be prepared also, because again, we talked about how systemic this is, this problem. And so it's bound to come up. It's not going to be a surprise. I also want to say like, we have to also give people an opportunity for redemption. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things that I'm seeing right now in society is, um, and rightfully so we're calling people out, right? We're calling people out, people are losing their jobs, people are, you know, um, it's hitting people where it hurts, you know, but there are also people who, I, I sometimes get tired of looking at social media with some of my friends who are, um, they're a little too woke, you know, and you're just looking like, hey man, listen, you know, cause you know, when we talk about, hey, you know, you have to vote. It's not just enough to protest. You have to vote. You have to do this. Oh, well, I'm not voting for it. Well, I guess you're not voting at all because these are the people that we have available. Mm -hmm. You know, That's and we're, you know, oh, well, back in 19, did it, mm -hmm, yeah, back when all of these other things were happening, yeah, this person went along with the majority and they realized that they were wrong and they said that they were wrong and they fixed it since then. We, we have to give people space to redeem themselves. Um, and I, I think that that's a big thing when we talk about creating a more loving and I need, if you have this, you know, uh, racist, prejudiced background and, you've actually, and you're actually making strides to be like, hey, I know my upbringing was horrible and I know that I've contributed to this, but I'm taking these steps in order to figure this out for myself and I'm doing better about this, then we need to give people, we need to give people that space to be, to be better. Um, I don't think that it's okay for us to continue to vilify people who are trying to do better. And I, I had to say that because I think that where we are right now, like I say, I got some two woke friends who think that they are, they can just continue to vilify people who are trying to do better. I had an interview with a really inspiring kid during all the protests who said, look, 
I'm staying home because I'm taking care of my grandma, et cetera. I'm not going out. And he said, and quite frankly, I can't get on social media because I'm tired of trying to out activist everybody else and like prove that I'm black enough by how act like how angry I can be and how and unyielding I can be. And I was like, he said, I, I want everybody to do better. Period. And that's just where he was like, that's just where I am. And I thought that's um very mature for a 17 year old kid. <laughs> that's our secret weapon, Gen Z. It's Gen Z again. There they are. One one quick thing I want to just piggybacking um off of what Rochelle said is that I think that I see a lot of I've been the recipient of a lot of grace and I've I see the how beneficial that is and I see how when you know that you're not going to people aren't just waiting for you to admit that you're wrong so that they can just pounce on you mm -hmm. um it it does make you more ready to admit that you're wrong and to learn um at the same time I also think you know to my white friends and family that we also can't be ex we got to stop asking for our congratulations and I think you see this in corporate culture a lot it's the like if I make this big turnaround I also I want credit for it and so it's like kind of this narrow space where you have to be like let's I you know 100% what you're saying show grace and then also to my again like white folks are used to just being applauded for existing like for finishing our muffins and the what we we need to not enter this space asking for applause when we finally you know show up at the party and that's a um I find that psychologically, especially for public people um, and companies to be a really tricky line to walk. I can piggyback on that point because of what I do for work. And a lot of these companies are very risk averse. And I've been pulled in a lot the last couple of weeks to see, what do you think? What should they say? What should they not say? How should they move? Should they tweet about it? Should they respond to the tweet? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And, and I'm, I, I always have to tell them, like, listen, it, it's, you don't want to get too caught up in the reactionary part of, we want to say something so that we don't get called out, or we want to say something so that, you know, what is the company's intentions? What are your intentions here? What do you want to accomplish here? Do you want to change things? And then you take it, that'll dictate how you move. But if you're moving under the guise of, I don't want Twitter to come after me, or, you know, I want to do just the bare minimum to get an applause, but not too much attention because I don't want to get backlash. It's, it's a whole tightrope that a lot of these, especially the bigger ones are trying to walk. And to your point, they want applause more so than the meaningfulness of what the movement means sometimes. And people will know when you're genuine, like, I'm going to continue to buy this $5 pint of Ben & Jerry's because I know Listen. that uh, Ben & Jerry's is like, hey, yep. we've, been, we've been about that life. We've been here. <laughs> <You know>? Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, but I, it's, people know when you're genuine. People know when you are, when you've shown it, when you've had that, that pattern of 
I'm I'm not just supportive of Black Lives Matter. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm supportive of all of the communities who've been oppressed. I'm supportive of, I mean, I guess for some of these companies now, I'm just like, mm, you would not have had to say this if you had been showing it. You know, and the, the people who've been showing it, who've made a statement, you're just like, you want to be like, yeah, we know that. Like Ben and Jerry's, we we know y'all. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. We already know. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's, so I totally agree with what you're saying. Like they're, fi they're, they're walking that fine line, but if your past hasn't shown that you've been supportive, that's when people are skeptical of you. That's when people exactly. are like, mm, you probably should have just stayed quiet. Right. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you're new to this party right now, just lay low. <laughs> like before you post the little black box on Instagram, just stop posting. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh, thank you ladies so much. Yay, I'm so super thankful for y'all. Thank you for the conversation, your time, your voice, your perspective. Um, I, I really, that's all I, I can say is thank you. I, I truly appreciate everything that you have to offer, not only for this conversation, but to the world. Um, please call on me if you need help with anything. And I say that with like the most sincere heart. Um, I will always be here for you and not just you, but other friends, family members, everybody um, who is in this. And I, I think that this is such a crucial time. And like I said, like I've been on a lot of calls and conversations about like, how can we reopen schools safely for COVID? And I'm like, well, first you're gonna start by addressing what's been going on and talking not only about like the trauma kids are gonna face from COVID, but also trauma that families have faced for decades um, in relations to race and colorism within our own like families and communities. Um, so I truly thank you so much. Does anyone want to add anything thank else? Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Yeah. A great conversation. Yeah. Enjoyed I it. know. I appreciate y'all so much. We appreciate you. Like, yeah. uh, yeah. for being ready for the podcast. Yes, and thank you courageous <laughs> yeah. to put this together. Um, a lot of people, you know, people we have a lot to say, um, and people need to hear it, but uh we need people who will organize things like this for other people to hear. So keep letting your light shine, hun. No, oh, absolutely.